This podcast is a quest for well-being, a quest for a meaningful life through the exploration of fundamental truths, enlightening ideas, insights on physical, mental, and spiritual health. The inspiration is love. The aspiration is to awaken new ways of thinking that can lead us to a new way of being. Being well. Welcome to Body, Mind, and Soul Healing Conversations. Joy is something I can wake up with every day, no matter what happened the previous day and no matter what I'm going to face. Joy can't be taken from me because it's internally generated. I believe I'm a joyful person. That doesn't mean bad things don't affect me. It means that despite them, I feel good about myself and my ability to control what I do. It leaves me in an incredibly solid place. As a result, I'm a very happy, optimistic person. Valeria Tellis interviews Jeff Forte, the author of Be Happy Forever. Get immediate answers to let go of anxiety, stress, anger, sadness, overwhelm, fear, and much more. Jeff Forte is an executive peak performance coach, creator of the Magenta System for Emotional Wellness, and author of Be Happy Forever and the 90-Minute Marriage Miracle. He is a trusted advisor to Fortune 500 executives, professional athletes, Emmy Award winners, high-tech visionaries, teams, and couples. Meet Jeff at peakresultscoaching.com. Here's the interview with Jeff Forte. In your own words, who is Jeff Forte? I'm just a guy on a journey trying to do the best that I can to make myself a better version of me. Sounds really simple in a way, doesn't it? Yeah, I like to take the complex and make it as simple as possible. In fact, I think it was Albert Einstein who said simplicity was the most sophisticated of all. And when you say creating this uh, or becoming this better or the best version of yourself, what would that look like? Do you visualize that sometimes? Well, I think, you know, getting to the purpose of life for a moment, what are we here for? Right. That's one of the questions that often people are asking themselves. What's my life about? Why am I here? And for me, like all of life, we're here to evolve, to grow, to develop ourselves. And one thing that we often get stuck in, and I have in the past, we want the continuous now to stay the same, but change is inevitable. Change is constant. And and so if I'm not growing or developing myself just to keep up with the pace of change, I'm actually leaving myself behind. And so the ideal version of myself, I'm not sure what that is. I don't know what's possible. I think it's only in terms of, am I a better version of me this year than last year? Can I evolve my thinking? Can I improve my interactions with people? Can I uh, elevate my level of understanding about the things that are important to me and how to influence others in a way that's more effective? What is your idea, understanding of happiness? And do you kind of connect happiness to joy and inner peace? 
I actually see it a little bit differently. Most people are talking about happy, being happy. And uh, for me, happiness is outside of me. Somebody tells a joke, I have a good day, I get an award, I get a bonus, I get a promotion, something happens for yeah. me, right? Yeah. For, for me, joy is internal. It's not contingent upon the outside world. I wake up happy and I stay happy even if I've had a bad day. Right. I have this inner experience that isn't the outside world, so to speak. Even though I may be bothered or frustrated for a moment, I'm always able to go back to this place of joy mm. that does lead to higher and higher levels of inner peace. The more joyful I am, the more peaceful I am. I think they do go hand in hand. Is that your definition of emotional wellness or emotional resilience? Yes, it is. It, it's also my ability to sustain inner peace. Uh, so if I, I had a client today who called me, uh, their daughter committed suicide. And um, we are seeing heightened levels of sadness, depression, anger, rage throughout the world whether it's political, whether it's COVID, restrictions, lockdowns. And so overwhelm and stress levels are extraordinarily high. How do we cope? How do we become more resilient? How do we elevate our own emotional well-being? For, for me, these, I, I wrote this book that we're going to talk about later. As COVID hit, thinking that people need tools in order to handle the amount of stress that's going to be coming our way. And so because of the constant change of life, if I'm not emotionally resilient, I'm going to suffer emotionally. Right. I'm going to get caught in a cycle of self-destructive, th excuse me, self-destructive thinking. Right. And so this is a way out. I view inner peace as a way to sustain levels of joy. Mm -hmm. And I view inner peace as a way to sustain life as an experience that's beautiful. Because without inner mm -hmm. without inner peace, what do we have? And mm -hmm. certainly the example of Robin Williams, right. a, a man who had great wealth, great friends, accolades, raving fans by the millions, and something inside of him wasn't able to find peace for himself. A lot of times I ask the question about the difference between being peaceful and being relaxed. Yeah, I hadn't thought of it in those terms I would look at it this way. For me, being relaxed is not the same as having inner peace. Uh, a state of relaxation might be me on the beach in the sun, could be me in nature on a walk. In that moment, I've cleared my thoughts so I can be relaxed. And my, and my physical body may feel light. I view inner peace as a state of constant being. It doesn't matter where I am. I could be in a, an escalating conversation in a boardroom and be completely unaffected by it. So my ability to have inner peace uh, is something that I would relate to as a consistent thing that has nothing to do with being relaxed per se. While they're similar, they're also very different for me. And another question came to mind about thoughts. I know you talk in your book. I love your book, though. You have so many exercises and it's rich the work as I mentioned off record and thoughts this is a very um, interesting topic what are thoughts to you and are we thoughts and if we are not thoughts what are we I would think it would make sense to focus primarily on our ability to control our thoughts because from my understanding and very limited understanding I will admit 
according to quantum physics, in any one second, we can have 12 to 13 million thoughts blowing in and out of our mind. Consciously, we can only have about 20. So if I don't understand that my past and all the traumatic things and all the rejection and all the fears and all the things that have happened to me in my life have been stored in archive that are running me on autopilot most of the time, if I don't have that understanding, you'll be very difficult for me to be happy. And so if I were to use an affirmation, I'm happy, I'm happy, I'm happy, that doesn't necessarily make me happy. It doesn't lead to happiness. What I discovered personally was that I had to go back and address some of that unconscious world, things that I weren't aware of that were in a continuous, uh, subtle conversation within me. And so I don't believe I am my thoughts. I believe that I'm far greater than any thought or any experience that I have, you know, even on this earth. You know, we think we're spiritual beings and we are much more evolved than we realize. So success, what is your idea of success today? What is to be successful to you? And what are some of the misconceptions we have about being successful? Uh, well, today couldn't be more poignant because this particular client is worth hundreds of millions of dollars and he lost his daughter to suicide. Um, for me, success is all about my ability to sustain inner peace. Uh, if I don't have inner peace, I would say that I'm unsuccessful. I would say Robin Williams had everything but inner peace. So was he successful? No. What's life success? We have financial success. We have marital success. We have physical success. But what's life success really about? And so for me, it's my ability to sustain inner peace on a very deep level so that I'm in this world, but not affected by the negativity of it. The title of your book is Be Happy Forever. Get immediate answers to let go of anxiety, stress, anger, sadness, overwhelm, fear, and much more. So I think the question I wanted to ask earlier, it's how did you come to these understandings, Jeff, about inner peace and the importance of inner peace? A long time ago, I uh, had an illness that turned out to be Lyme disease. Yeah. But I went through this journey of about eight years with no diagnosis. I had tremendous neurological symptoms. I would be running errands in my in a town I'd lived in for 25 years, and I couldn't find my way back home. Um, and so they thought I had multiple sclerosis. They had us had some neurotoxins. And so on this journey of visiting doctors around the country trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I finally made a decision to go home, stop spending and wasting all this money and all this time, and heal myself. Right. And so I had this thought, which was kind of a seminal thought for me, uh, and changed really kind of changed my life, which was, if I can just love myself enough, do all my problems go away? Mm. I didn't know the answer about that, but I'm a very curious person. And so I was willing to try anything. And so I began to experiment on myself. And that's kind of the uh, basis for this book. At this point in your life, do you believe that this is a realistic goal to have or a realistic practice, unconditional self-love? That's an interesting question. One of the questions I've been asking clients for 15 years is, on a scale of 1 to 10, to what degree do you love yourself, like yourself? If 10 
where I love myself unconditionally, completely, and fully. And I would say that having heard numbers from minus 43 to 8, um, that the idea of having unconditional self-love would be difficult to, to achieve on the earth. Uh, I think it's possible for some. I'm certainly not there. Right. So I'm a work in progress. Have you found out the reasons why it's a challenge for most people? Well, I've made great progress, and I think people are able to make tremendous progress if they understand, um, you know, there's a lot of books and things that people can do in order to elevate their self-love, right? You know, to what degree am I patient with myself, compassionate with myself? To what degree do I forgive myself? To what degree do I deal effectively with the disappointments of my life, right? All these things are part of our unconscious world that for me is the key to um, releasing more inner peace. And so if I really want to be happy and joyful every day, that hat, in my opinion, in my own experience for me, right, doesn't mean it's forever, but in my world, I've had to uh, let go of or clear out all the nonsense from my past, not by talking about it, but simply addressing the unconscious world that's within me. And that's the basis of this magenta process that I wrote about in the book, which is direct access to the unconscious world, where everything is stored and archived that's happened to us. What was the main inspiration and intention of writing your book, Be Happy Forever? The, the intention was to help as many people as possible deal with the stress and overwhelm of COVID and the ramifications of shutdown and lockdown and people losing their businesses, et cetera. Yeah. Fear. Yeah, fear. That is another topic I love to discuss because a lot of times we have these ideas that we can become fearless. And from my perspective, it seems like it's possible though. What would you say, Jeff? I think that it's possible for many people to become fearless. Um, I look at it kind of a little differently. I heard a quote from a movie a long time ago. I think it was We Bought a Zoo or something. Uh, and in that movie, Matt Damon talks about having 10 seconds of courage. And I think that in any circumstance, it's possible to find five or 10 seconds of courage that make the difference. And so that's what I look to do in my own life. Your book, you have... It's uh, divided so many in lessons. So you have lesson number one, tell yourself the truth. And you have a very interesting survey. And that's very clear because number five, the questions you have there, you ask us to choose true or false. Caught my attention number five because you ask, uh, I like myself. That's the statement. So I was wondering why you didn't write, I love myself. <laughs> we just talked about self-love. <laughs> I'd love to answer that because most people yeah. um, balk at the idea of I love myself, I've found, when they ask this question. And so I have to uh, refer to it as I like myself if they can't handle the I love myself. It's a fascinating uh, you know, study that I've conducted over the last 15 years. Um, Self-love is this ambiguous term. And uh, you know, for me, it is taking responsibility because it's self-confidence, self-worth, self-value. I mean, all these things have to do with the self. When will we take responsibility for our self-love? 
self-acceptance, all those things. Do you want to make a comment about the survey, Jeff? Because that's an interesting questions you have, the statements you have there. So how does it work? How many do we have to get it right in a way with a true answer? This, this survey is more of a reference point about the reality of how much happiness exists in your life. And so if you were to ask a dozen people on the street, are you happy today? You're going to get a variety of answers, but there has to be some context. What does it actually mean to be happy? And so this question in the survey helps people understand kind of a contextualized version of, okay, I'm happy here. This makes me happy. I feel good. I like myself. I feel joyful every day. I feel some level of inner peace. Without those pieces, it's pretty impossible to be happy. Most, and I also ask this question, you know, what has to happen in order for you to feel happy? And we have this list. Most people have a list they're not even aware of. I have to get the promotion. I have to have the perfect relationship. I have to have the home. I have to have the second home. I have to have the boat. Uh, it, it's, it's a list of nonsense. It doesn't lead to happiness. It leads to some level of superficial uh, happiness, which can become an addiction, right? Chasing the next deal, chasing the next thing, chasing the next shopping spree. But it's not a sustainable way to take control of your emotional life. I have to ask you the question, the same question. What makes you happy? What is happiness to you, Jeff? Actually, it doesn't take anything at all to make me happy. I wake up and I'm happy. I wake up and I feel at peace. I, I, it doesn't take anything at all to make me happy. I mean, literally, it, make, it takes nothing to make me happy. It sounds very uh, spiritual to me, this idea. So I'm wondering if this is part of your spiritual practice somehow. It is. Uh, I do the exercise in this book, Go almost every day. It is part of my spiritual practice. I've been kind of on a long spiritual journey and, you know, I've tried to keep my feet on the ground and stay in the practical reality of my world. Um, cause there's lots of ways that you can kind of, uh, explore the outer limits, so to speak. And I've just found that I wanted to stay more grounded. I'm a proof and evidence kind of guy. I'm a wall street guy, 20 years in wall street in management. And I come at this from a very different approach. You know, what works? Is it effective? What's the kind of a bottom line approach to, uh, fixing things. And I want solutions that work right away. I don't want to wait. I don't want people to suffer any longer than they have to. So I have to take a very practical bottom line approach to, uh, my thinking in in terms of these things. Yeah. But it is based in a higher level of spirituality for certain. So lesson three, you have improve your thoughts. So that's the foundation. That's where you, I have some notes here about uh, living a grateful life creates a happier life. And then you have uh, breathing, sense of humor. I love that. Humor is a useful gift for physical and emotional healing. And that's so true. So talk to me for a moment about breathing exercise and how important it is to be aware of our breathing and then sense of humor. Uh, many years ago, I was taking a martial arts class and a martial arts master told me I wasn't breathing co correctly. And he told me that I was a chest breather and I should be breathing down towards this point in Chinese. They call it the Dantian, which is uh, maybe a inch below the navel, which is where the power comes in martial arts and that type of thing. And so I worked to change my breathing so that I became a belly breather. And if anybody who's listening or, or even you, Valeria, have ever had children, if you put a, a toddler on their back or a baby on their back, you notice their belly rising up and down, not their chest. Well, we 
we leave that belly breathing and all become chest breathers due to stress or, you know, just living a daily life kind of unconsciously. And so I worked and practiced uh, placing my hand over my navel and breathing towards my hand so I could feel my hand moving in and out with my breath. And what I discovered was that my emotional resilience improved by becoming a belly breather. Things didn't bother me or get to me as much. And so this is a skill I teach executives today for boardroom confrontations so they can be talking to another executive in a boardroom who's escalated their language and put their hand over their belly button. They're not as affected. They're not as stressed out. They don't feel the emotions rise. They can control their emotional experience by controlling their breathing. And so it's a big part of emotional wellness is taking control of your breathing. Because under stress, our breath rises in our chest. And because I've worked with lots of anxiety attacks and panic attacks, I can tell you that people who have those attacks are breathing very, very shallowly in their chest. And all that can be reversed by breathing deeper into their abdomen. In sense of humor, Jeff, how did you find out about me? It's kind of uh, probably naturally, but talk to me for a moment about how does it work having sense of humor and why do so many of us don't, don't have that? Well, for me, I first I have to have a sense of humor about myself, my own screw, screwing up, my own messing up. <laughs> yes, yes. I have to find the humor in my own silliness. And <laughs> yeah. I, I do. I'm able to easily find, uh, <clears throat> you know, I'm really not a big deal. There was a moment in my career for Wall Street where I was in charge of all these people. And uh, one day there was a lunch meeting in a boardroom and I had and I went into this empty boardroom and there was trash every place. And I ended up cleaning up all the garbage. And I thought to myself, I've moved myself up so high, I'm now the janitor. <laughs> yes, and that, right. in, that moment, in that moment, my life took on a very different perspective. Mm. I, I didn't, I, I lost all my sense of, uh, I've risen to the top, so to speak. And I realized I, I haven't gone anywhere. I've, mm. I'm back to the bottom. Yes, yeah, there's something about laughter that it's so liberating, isn't it? <laughs> For the body, it is, mind. Absolutely. Yes. Yeah, I love that component. The power of love, you talk about that in lesson three, two, and we know how powerful that is that state of mind, state of being in harmony with life itself. And actually, let me ask you the question what is love to you, Jeff, in general? Oh, that's a very long answer, probably. <laughs> you really get into a lot with that. I, I, I want to be simple. So for me, love is a feeling. Uh, if you fall in love, that bypasses your intellect. You just have this emotional experience. You can wake up and be in love with the sun. You can wake up and be in love with your dog or plants. Uh, it doesn't have to be another person. You can be in love with anything. It just gives you a feeling of joy, of deep peace. Uh, you can even have a feeling of fulfillment and completion around love. So for me, love is really, truly a feeling. So lesson four, you improve your thoughts, breaking the cycle of negative emotions. You talk about hope, believe, and know how different they are. And you say, I believe that there are only three reasonable possibilities of thinking during difficult circumstances. What about feeling? You didn't mention that this is not included here. So what comes first, the thought or the feeling? In, in the world that I operate, I believe that 
a thought triggers a feeling or something in your mind, an image, a voice, a combination, something has to trigger a feeling. I see a rose. I have a feeling. I see my loved one. I have a feeling. I have to have a thought in order to have a feeling. So if I go after improving the thoughts, my emotional experience improves. Do you connect hope, believe in knowing to thoughts? They are all connected? Because <laughs> I would say knowing's kind of separate from that, but <laughs> so so uh, boy, I so I'm going to keep my in the practical world for your audience for a moment. In my illness, I came to the conclusion that hope was worthless. Hope didn't move the dial for me. I could hope that I was going to get better, and then I realized I could think and believe that I'm going to get better. But but unless I knew beyond a doubt, just had this deep knowingness, right? It could be based on faith, could be based on yourself or will, it could be based on something, or it doesn't have to be based on anything. But just this deep sense of knowingness that you were going to heal no matter what. It it's an elevated thing, and so thinking and believing is better than hope. And knowing is superior to thinking and believing in my world. And so if I know something is going to happen, it's a much stronger internal feeling. It's a a more powerful emotional experience. And I believe that those emotions uh, create physiological shifts. Mm. And in my experience, that was true. So the knowing when you are in that space, are there feelings they arise those emotions and especially the emotion or the feeling of love yes the when you know you could have a feeling of tremendously deep inner peace you could have a feeling of that and this is a fascinating question because there were moments when i was working on self-love where it blurred into peace i had these layers of depth of love that Mm resembled deep inner peace and there was a moment where i couldn't tell one from the other and and so these deeper levels of emotional awareness are these you know profoundly beautiful experiences that are are somewhat hard to describe Um, and the experience itself is kind of the pursuit you know what's your life experience like? These are the types of thoughts that I have when I talk to clients. And what what kind of life experience do you prefer? What kind of life experience would be optimal or ideal for you? And if you don't have inner peace or some high level of love, the emotional experience is going to be less than it could be. And everybody deserves a, a you know much more beautiful and magnificent life experience. You write in a book something interesting too about slowing down. You say any thought can be intentionally slowed down in your mind, one day at a time, one moment at a time. Just by reading that, it kind of slows the mind. <laughs> the phrase itself, one moment at a time. It does. It does. And we, we need to slow down today. We're wired 24 hours a day or, or you know, wireless. We're on these devices. We're constantly tapped into uh, to news and information. And it's an overwhelming thing. Most people are constantly in their minds and really unaware of what's going on in their bodies. And the more that I slow down, the more I become aware of my breathing, the more I become aware of the tension in my body or the comfort level of my body. And you and your world of fitness are very well aware of 
how important it is to be aware of how you feel in your body. Let me see. I love the 50 rules uh, for healthy living you have at the end of the book. We are probably already talking about, but more specifically, the Magenta program. How does it work and what is important for the audience to understand? So the Magenta process is, again, from my discovery, healing myself from Lyme disease. And I tell people that it's something that you don't have to believe in at all. It's something to try out for yourself. So it's a very short meditative experience. It takes maybe three minutes to five minutes a day if you want to do it regularly, as most people prefer to do. And you simply become aware of how you feel in your body at a moment. Maybe scan your body for 15 seconds. And then you have a conversation with your body that is really a number of simple things. The first of which is thanking your body. Thanking you for all it does for you, appreciating it, working so hard 24 hours a day. And then the second part is telling your body and various organ systems that I love you. Saying that literally to your body. And then thanking your body again. So this very simple process elicits two things. It, lists, it, it creates a change in your visual world. And it creates a change in your feeling world. And so for me, that's the proof and evidence that you're on the right track to evolving yourself, to becoming happier, to becoming more peaceful, to clearing out the clutter of your background of, of life experiences that weren't positive and upbeat and happy. Right. It wipes out negativity without having to talk about it or traumatic events without having to talk about it. And so this is a very simple process if you go slowly and deliberately. And, um, you know, people have had tremendous successes, not only in healing their emotional life, but in healing physical things that they've had uh, challenges with for years. But it's interesting it's in your book to read about the, the water experiment you had. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Talk to me for a moment about that, the access point water. Yes, I was very fortunate to see uh, this Japanese scientist, Emoto, many years ago. He was doing the experiments with water crystals, and talking to the water crystals would change a crystal from being beautiful to being ugly by just changing the words. If you spoke negatively to the water crystal, it would completely break apart. If you said, I love you or thank you to the water crystals, they would become like snowflakes and quite beautiful. And we know scientifically that it's been proven that water stores information and memory. And so I had this thought one day, since my body is about 70% water, 75% water, whatever it is, what is stored in my body's water? And so I should go about addressing the things in my body's water if I want to clean up my past uh, traumatic things or negative events or experiences. And so I... I found that as an access point to healing, emotional healing, physical healing, and it became uh, a rather profound discovery and one that uh, I really feel like has so much potential for people to uh, take control of their emotional lives. Right. In fact, I found the water to be a much more profoundly Mm. uh, effective access point than physical organs. 
Yeah, I remember talking to someone about that, the power of change of the vibration of the water. Yeah, it made a lot of sense to me. The vibration, the, everything's energy in a way from that perspective. Yeah, so if you change the energy vibration, then you change everything, of course. Yeah. I have this uh, marker that I call a health matrix, which is basically a positive-negative thought ratio. So if somebody were to track their positive versus negative thoughts in a day, it's really difficult for anybody to be happy if they're not around a 70% positive to negative ratio. Uh, if you're 50-50, you're not going to be happy at all. So, so those, neg those negative thoughts have an impact. And so you could say that this loving yourself, being grateful for various uh, organs of your body, you, that could be a way of raising your vibration as well. And it certainly would. Thank you so much, Jeff, for your generous and compassionate work. That's what I see, passing that on and trying to share that, your experiences and how we can live this more pleasant life, pleasant dream. <laughs> From the 50 rules you have for um, healthy living at the end, I'll just mention a few of them that I wrote here that really resonated. The 10, uh, a natural state of living. That's another topic in itself. What is a natural state of living? But to me, it's um, connecting to nature itself and knowing that we are life itself. And then a connection to the divine. I love that. The 16th, um, 23rd a sense of humor and lightness about life. So uh, creativity expressed. That's a beautiful one too. The 31 um, a relaxed focus, um, and then you also have 46, you have so many there, a primary desire to share love in some form. Beautifully written to that phrase. So we're almost at the end. I have those few ending questions for you. Would you like to add anything or read a passage in your book? Uh, the one thing I would like to add to anybody listening who may be having challenges emotionally, maybe whatever it might be, to eliminate any why questions. Oftentimes, why questions create a cycle of self-defeat. Why is this happening to me? Why am I not good enough? Why don't they love me? There is no answer that's going to be positive or empowering. So anybody that I work with who has negativity in their life, I ask them to eliminate all why questions and change them as soon as they discover they're asking a why question to something like, how can I treat myself with more kindness right now? Who can I reach out to to share my love with? What can I do to treat myself with more compassion? So shifting the why questions can have a pro profound experience on the ability to take control of your emotional life. Mm, yes, because open up the space for solutions, for possibilities, choices. That's, yeah. Yep. Yes, yes, exactly. Beautiful. Yeah, thank you. Uh, my ending questions to you. What was the hardest lesson to learn about yourself and life as of today? Uh, the hardest lesson to learn. Yeah. Well, uh, I lost my wife to cancer a few years ago, and I was her sole caretaker in hospice at home. And uh, that was a very difficult uh, experience for me to learn to let go somebody that I loved very much and to learn to move my life on without them, so to speak. Uh, I, I found that to be a, a beautiful experience and a difficult experience all at the same time. 
it's such a contradiction in terms it's a beautiful experience to help somebody die mm-hmm. and it's a difficult experience at the same time yes but i was able to find the beauty in it what kind of beauty did you find there jeff well i thought to myself that um holding her hand as she died was probably the greatest gift i could ever have given her mm, right yeah it has been said that losing the body is the most significant moment in our lives that moment is the most important one so yeah that makes sense to me you seen beauty there what is another word for healing Uh for me it's a return to wholeness. Um I I think that probably says it more than anything it's just a return to wholeness. I think that we are healthy and I think we are healed and it's our it's the only thing that interferes with that is our own understanding that's very limited. You know we we come from a very limited place and I certainly have many many and still do come from a limited place and my wisdom has been gathered through bad experiences you know that seems like how we get wisdom right we make mistakes and we learn and and so uh the more wisdom i've gathered uh, and, and anything that i write in my life is always something i've had to improve or fix of my own um yeah wholeness i love that word and the idea that there's nothing wrong right that we are healed we are already there I've always had this thought I am the obstacle in my own way. Two more questions for you. If you knew you would die soon, meaning leaving losing the body, would you make any change or do anything in a different way? No. Uh and I and I thought about this particularly since my wife passed away. Uh no, I wouldn't make any change at all. And my last question is, what are three things about life you know for sure as of this moment? <laughs> for sure. <laughs> okay. I know that the sun is going to rise tomorrow. <laughs> Are you sure? <laughs> I know that I'm going to wake up uh happy. Oh, and I know that I'm going to feel grateful for whatever exists in my life. Thank you for being this uh, inspiration to us. You put a smile on my face when you say waking up happy and being grateful for the things you have. That is truly beauty to me. Well, thank you so much for this beautiful uh, interview with you in this space. Thank you. Before we say goodbye, where can we find more information about you, your books, products, services, and future projects? Um, they can find me at peakresultscoaching.com, P-E-A-K, peakresultscoaching.com. Wonderful. I'll have the link on your podcast profile, too. Thank you so much again, and we'll talk soon. Thank you. Bye for now. Thank you for listening. To learn more about Jeff Forte and his work, please visit peakresultscoaching.com. To learn more about this podcast, please visit fitforjoy.org/podcast. Thank you again for listening and bye for now.